back into the, uh, to the book of Ephesians and verse-by-verse uh, verse study tonight. Some of this will be uh, fresh on your mind from week one, which was, I believe, four or five weeks ago. And um, so I think it's four weeks ago. And uh, so let's go into Ephesians chapter one. We are starting our study tonight, beginning in verse one and ending in verse six. Um, but we will probably more than likely not be able to get to uh, down into verse five and six tonight. But nonetheless, so Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse one, the Bible tells me, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Accepted in the Beloved. One of the first things that we see here, if you will, uh, is the open salutation. All right. Uh, if you remember, Paul is also a Roman citizen. And uh, so the Roman style of writing a letter was to give the salutation if, uh, in the front end. Uh, so Paul, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, whereas we today would say sincerely or kind regards or with much love, and we would sign our name in the back end of the letter, we find here in this type of style of writing, Paul is introducing himself in the front end of the letter. And we understand that to be uh, the Roman style of writing a letter. Nonetheless, guys, it does say Paul an apostle. Circle that, highlight it, mark it, underscore it in your Bible, because it has been altered to, as to uh, Paul, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, by many, if not most, of the Bible critics today. Now, guys, you may remember, you may not, four weeks ago when we opened up into this lesson, I told you, that the book of Ephesians was one of the most attacked books by the Bible critics, by the liberal movement uh, of the Word of God, uh, more than any other letter almost. And, and the reason being is because the depth of doctrine that is in this, 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 uh, this letter here, uh, the, the purity of eternal salvation, the simplicity of salvation, and really and truly the establishment of what Christ has done, when He did it, and how we did it. And we find simply it, it just drives Bible critics mad and they want to destroy it. So they want to change many a times the word apostle uh, to ambassador. Here's the problem with that. Paul says that we are ambassadors Christ. An ambassador is a representative of another land within a foreign country. We today are citizens in heaven. Mind you, we get the same doctrine from the book of Ephesians chapter 1. All right, that we are citizens in the heavenly places, in, uh, in, in heaven, and we are essentially in a foreign land here. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and we are representatives of Him here on this earth. We are not apostles, all right? We are not apostles. You and I are not. There has not been an apostle on this earth since the death of John, okay, the beloved John. There is no such thing as apostolic uh, secession. That is a doctrine taught by the devil himself. You are not an apostle. One of the requirements of an apostle is to have seen physically the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. 
you have not seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The last person that saw the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was John. Amen. John on the Isle of Patmos when he saw Jesus Christ, when he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. Prior to that, who was it? It was Paul on the road to Damascus, which that separated by about 40 years, if not more, okay? So I'm saying actually more than that, about 60 years. So I'm saying all that to make this point. Anyone on this planet that refers to themselves as an apostle, you mark them as a liar, and I wouldn't get directions to the one-stop shop from them. Amen, amen, okay? You are an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ. You are not an apostle. And I don't care what the apostolics say. Listen, they're wrong, okay? So within the same critical manuscripts, so here's, here's where the hypocrisy sets in. Within the same critical manuscripts and commentaries uh, concerning the same word, it's translated as apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, all right? So they'll put apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, but they want to change it to ambassador in Ephesians chapter 1. And you say, well, why is that? they picking on the letter of Ephesians. I'm telling you, this letter is attacked in so many other ways, uh, it, it really will blow uh, your mind. So we see here in verse 1, it says, By the will of God, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And uh, we, we know uh, that the Lord, and we, we understand what that will of God is. This indicates the directive will of God, all right? You can read this from the screen, but in Acts chapter 9, in verse 15, this is what it says. It says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We also know that Paul himself that he said that he was one chosen out of due time. Okay. Now, Matthias is the one that replaced Judas in the apostleship. And I'm not going to take anything away. And I know we have difference of opinions and, um, and ideologies as to whether or not Matthias should have been chosen as an apostle. All right? And I understand that, okay? I'm not, um, I, I gotta be, if, I'm, if I am perfectly honest with you, I'd probably lean over this side over here. Not that Matthias was a bad guy. He's a wonderful guy. But I'd probably lean over here that it wasn't the time and place for him to be, for Judas to be replaced. God had the man that was going to replace him as the 12th apostle, and, and that's Paul, one chosen out of due time. God knew, and of course we're going to look at the word foreknowledge quite a bit over the next few weeks, um, he knew who he had chosen, and yet we find that Peter and the rest of the guys, they, what did they do to choose who should be the next apostle? That's right, they cast lots, didn't they? Now, casting lots, is that Christian or biblical or is that pagan? It's pagan, isn't it? So again, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, that right there is just food for thought for you tonight. I'm not going to level on either side of it. Again, I'm not throwing Matthias under the, uh, uh, I'm not throwing him under the bus by any stretch of the imagination. He, he did good work. He's a great man of God, I'm sure. Uh, but you need, that is food for thought for you to think about. Because you know what? At the end of the day, guys, when we're serving the Lord in our position, position he's given us, we need to be where our feet are. And we got to try to make sure we don't get in front of him. The Lord's never been late. He wasn't late when he showed up to the tomb well, with Lazarus. He wasn't late when he showed up to the cross. He wasn't late when, he, late when he came up out of the tomb when he rose the third day. He's never been late. He's always been on time. Amen? And so sometimes we just need to settle, be where our feet are. So by the will of God, Paul is an apostle. And we see the Lord makes that clear to Ananias there 
in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. So we find that this is the directive will of God and not the permissive will of God that you would read about, say, in James chapter 4, verse 15. This says, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So we, that's, a, that's a clear statement that we see here in the opening uh, handful of words of Ephesians that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And we'll go ahead and say it, the directive will of God, not the permissive will of God, and there is a difference. So look back in verse 1 with me again. It says here who he's writing to, he says, to the saints which are at Ephesus, okay? Now the words at Ephesus in the Greek is, is uh, in Ephesio, uh, has been taken out by the Marsonians, by, by origin. It was left out of the Vaticanus and left out of the Sinaiticus. Now you say, well, preacher, why is that important for us to understand? That gives the distinction of who he's writing to, the saints at Ephesus, okay? So why would Origen, why would Marsonian, why would the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, why would those manuscripts, why would they remove those things? Because Origen was a critical thinker. He was, a critical, uh, he was critical of the text. He, he, uh, he butchered the word of God. He disagreed. Marcion is the same way. And, the, 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 and just to let you know, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, that is the root manuscripts for all of the modern translations, okay? All of them. And again, we're going to talk uh, quite a bit about translations work in the midst of this. And I think you're going to, I'll put it to you this way. By the end of us getting through Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, if you still go back and you read a modern version, yeah, there's going to be something wrong with you. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say that to you tonight once, I, once we show you uh, exactly what is going on there. So at Ephesus is removed from uh, many of the older, the, not the older, but the um, manuscripts that are used in the modern, uh, modern version. So look here, if you will, the next part of verse 1, it says, And to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So the saints are the faithful mentioned in this verse. And the, the construction of the sentence is, is a Hebrew parallelism that's similar to Matthew 21, verse 5. You can read that from the screen. It's very similar. Watch what it says. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a coal the foal of an ass. So we understand that Matthew 21, verse 5 is the foretelling, if you will, of a prophecy that was, out, that was given all the way back in the oldest book of the entire Bible, you understand. And uh, so we find here the faithful mention is speaking samely of the Christians that are there, the saints that are in Ephesus. So it's like a Hebrew parallelism, uh, parallelism that runs together the construction of this sentence. You, you say, why is that important to know? Do you need to know that? Not necessarily, but you've got to understand that the faithful in Christ Jesus are the saints at Ephesus. They are the one and the same. All right. So there's not a, here's, here's the deal. He's not saying to the saints at Ephesus and also this other group. That's the parallelism that we're speaking of. Make sense? So the king of Zion is coming on the foal, on the foal of an ass. Those are all the parallelisms that are mentioned there in that scripture. And it's important for us to see those things, uh, to really understand what you're reading as we're going verse by verse. So notice with me in verse 2, verse 2 says grace, and, and then he goes on to say later, it says peace from God our Father and from the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So the word grace, and, and write this down if you're taking notes tonight, All right, grace be to you and peace from our God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace occurs 12 times in this epistle, 12 times in, uh, in uh, the book of Ephesians. And that's important to understand because here he refers to the grace that is dispensed to us day to day, all right? 
So we'll touch in between the, the first six verses of the letter, we'll touch on Hebrew, I mean, um, on uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which establishes that grace. And that's the grace given into salvation. It's given to you at the forefront and gives you the opportunity to be saved and born again. All right. But the grace that Paul's mentioning here in verse 2 is the grace that occurs, that, that is dispensed day to day. Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is not a state of grace out of which the believer may fall, but, but this is a grace that is given every single day, day to day. The day to day grace to match the trials and tribulations and struggles and turmoils and things that we're going to face, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes on a weekly basis. That's this particular grace. You may be saying to yourself tonight, saying, why are you making such an emphasis about that? Paul's writing this letter as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Keep that in mind. This is not like me. This is not like me sitting down at my, my study and uh, writing a letter out of my own volition. Paul's writing this by the will of the Holy Spirit of God. He's inspired to do so. And those words that say grace, peace. From God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, and then again, again, 12 times. So this grace here is that, is that grace that you and I receive from God every single day to deal with the trials for the believer. Read from the screen 2 Corinthians tonight, if you will, 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. The Bible says here, how that he was caught up into heaven, I'm sorry, caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. This is speaking of Paul. Now, this occurred when Paul was stoned to death outside of Lystra in Derby. okay? So remember, Paul was stoned to death. They dragged him out of the city as he was dead. And then all of a sudden, he popped back up. So now we're getting the, given the account of what happened while he was dead. And he says in verse 4 again, How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter, of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but uh, now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that, uh, that he heareth me to be. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So we go back there in the on the verse on the on the on the screen there, uh, looking at verse nine, and he said unto him, "My grace is sufficient for thee." So the grace that Paul is saying, "Grace, peace be unto thee," okay, in this letter is the grace that we're given that is sufficient for us to deal with the struggles or the thorn in the flesh that Paul was having to deal with lest he be exalted. We know that Paul also said in another letter that uh, there's such a one that was called up to the third heaven he was. And he saw things, he saw, he saw and heard things that the Bible says is unlawful for him to repeat. Yeah, 
things that he could not say. So let me stop you here for a second. Let's just, uh, I know this is probably going to dance on some toes, and I'm not really wanting to do that, but nonetheless, I know we're talking about grace. But as we just heard, as one being called up to paradise, and then in another place, Paul writes about being uh, called up to the third heaven, that he knew a man uh, about 14 years ago, one called up to the third heaven. Okay, it's the same account that we're reading about. And he said he saw things, amen. And the Bible says it was unlawful for him to speak or to repeat, amen. So let me ask you a question here tonight. If Paul the Apostle, who let's just be honest, there ain't a person alive today nor has been alive since Paul was killed that's worthy to untie and tie his shoelace, amen? His shoe latchet, if you will. The Apostle Paul is the man. There is, I mean, listen, uh, Jesus Christ said, of born of woman, there is no man greater, speaking of John the Baptist, but he said, John the Baptist is going to be the least in the kingdom. Why? Because he's not part of the bride. So once you get into that bride, you get into that church, and you got the Apostle Paul, the one born out of due season, the one who gloried in his infirmities, the one who is the man, if you will, of the mission field. All right? And yet he goes to heaven, and he sees things with his own eyes, he hears words, and he himself's not allowed to repeat them. And you think you're going to go to heaven and die in 90 seconds and come back and tell everybody what's going on up there. Man, don't believe that lie. Somebody tells you that I saw Lord Jesus Christ walking in my back. They're lying. You have not seen him, okay? And you're not going to see him until you die or until he comes back to take us home. You say, preacher, how can you be that cut dry? That's the Bible, guys. That is the Bible in dispensational belief, okay? And the proper biblical interpretation. What does that do for me? It settles my heart and my faith in the Holy Scriptures so that I don't have to put it in things that I see, touch, taste, and smell. Because the things that I see, touch, taste, and smell in this world, I don't like them all the time. What if I'm always looking for that shining star, that glowing body to come through the door, that fuzzy feeling, hearing those words? That does not exist in our days. The movement and the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, when you begin to render yourself more and more and more over to His will, that's your exciting feeling, and you ought to feel that. Something that big is not going to move in your body, and you not, not, not know that there's a difference there, amen. But what I'm trying to say to you this evening, if Paul sought God to remove this thorn in the flesh three times, and God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, then trust me tonight, His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient to get you through every single day, every single trial, every single tribulation, even the ones that you make a stupid mistake and you put yourself into it. If you'll go to Him and repent, He'll let you back in and give you grace to get through the matter. Amen. That's my God tonight. It's what He did for Paul. It's what He'll do for you and I. So God the Father gives grace. Read on the screen 1 Corinthians 1.4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Okay? Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth there, uh, thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So we have the grace given by God, uh, by God the Father. We have the peace that is given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. 
Let not your heart be troubled, okay? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. So the peace is Christ. The grace is given of God. So those of us who have grace and peace, uh, have, we have so for God, our Father who is leading us. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Okay? we got one more verse that I'll add on, but I want to tie those together, because you may be confused thinking that grace came from Jesus. It comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's what it's, that, that's what it's talking about in 1 Corinthians 1, 4. And then we get into 1 Corinthians 3.10, and then we seal that up in John 14.1-4, and then it's all tied together in the verse you have on your screen right now, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. But, let a, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things. What, what, are, what are part of those things? The grace that is given day by day. How do we get it? We get it by Jesus Christ, the one Lord, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, okay? So all of this ties together in these first, really and truly, we're on the second verse. It all ties together as we get into this verse 2 when we look in, in Ephesians chapter 1. That's the beauty of what we've just read just in the first two verses. That's the depth of this letter in the first two verses. And we know, that we know how important this book is simply by how much of a target it has become. To the Bible critics in this world today. So look at verse 3 with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now I'm going to monitor my time here. I'll be very, very careful. So I want to go over just a few things real quick this evening on this part uh, so that we can look at it. But once we tie into that heavenly blessings, I'm really going to save that for next week, okay? Because it's a lengthy bit of a part there. So there are seven blessings, guys, seven blessings which are named. And they're found in Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 7, verse 9, and verse, verses 13 to 14. They are on the screen, okay? They're going to be on the screen tonight. And uh, you can mark them if you want to. So seven of these blessings are named. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's blessing number one of the chapter. Verse 5, 7, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Blessing number two, okay? And uh, verse three, or verse 6, and number 3, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. All right, so that's your third one there. All of here, we're looking here in the same chapters, these seven blessings that we, that we read about in verse 3. And I'm going to reread verse 3 when it speaks here about, it says, Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So, the fifth one, verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. All right, that's blessing number Five. That's blessing number four, sorry. Blessing number five, blessing number five, 
Um, I need to go back. So I gave, you verse, I gave you number five. Here's number four found in verse seven. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So you have five blessings thus far found in chapter one. That is a direct reference coming from verse three of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Number six. It's found in verse 13. You can just mark these in your Bible, guys, as blessing number one, blessing number two, blessing number three. Verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now that's a big old blessing right there, amen. And then the final one we find, number seven, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So going back to verse 3, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Seven blessings that we find in chapter 1 that are these spiritual blessings that we received in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right here, these ones. So again, that's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, verse 9, and then 13 and 14. So, when we get to look here at the heavenly places, all right, um, I'm going to give you just a taste on that, and then we're going to go ahead and we're going to close this evening uh, this lesson down. I believe, and what we can, if you'd like to, we have a moment, a time of Q and A after we go through the announcements before prayer meeting concerning the lesson. But we'll go offline for that. So the expression "heavenly places," I need you to circle that in your Bible. Again, it's not only another target, another. A point or plan of attack through the Bible critics, but it's not only found just in Ephesians 1 verse 3, but it's also found, it's mentioned five times, all right, in this epistle. It's mentioned in chapter 2 verse 6. We're going to look at all these from the screen in just a moment. It's mentioned in chapter 3 verse 10, chapter 1 verse 3, again, we've already read that, verse 20, and then chapter 6 verse 12. So in chapter 2 and verse 6, we find here, uh, the Bible says, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right, in chapter 3, verse 10 says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And then we find in verse 3, we've already read verse 3, that's our text that we're reading from now. Uh, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand, where? In heavenly places. And then finally we see chapter 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All right. So these high places, heavenly places, what you find here, the meaning of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is very clear. All right, first of all, us as believers tonight, saved and born again of the blood of Christ, we are seated upstairs, if you will, at this very moment, being in Jesus Christ. We are present today before the throne of God. That's where we are. Physically, no. Spiritually, yes. What are those blessings that we read about the seven? They are spiritual blessings in heavenly places, okay? So we find the reason, guys, and we're going to tap, tap into this a little bit more uh, next week. But the reason heavenly places is under attack, or in, in the phrase high places, is because your critics will teach you that it's not a physical locale. That it's not a physical locality. That it's actually just this 
spiritual place that may or may, or may not be in your mind. There's the things that they teach is utterly crazy. But it's very clear concerning the Word of God where and what these heavenly places are. 1 John in chapter 4, verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we uh, may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. Guys, and as He could be in two places uh, at the same time, Jesus Christ could be, okay? John chapter 3, verse 13, that was not up there. John 3, 13, write it down. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Okay, so we now occupy two localities in our life. And cross-reference that with 1 Corinthians six seventeen on your screen. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ at all. You're either... Today, in two localities right now, if you're saved and born again, or you're not at all. One of those two things. Again, we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 already. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. For we are the members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Amen. So these heavenly places, we need to understand, they are real places and are certainly not quote-unquote, the heavenlies, okay? Although, you know, that will be the idea that's taught from many of the new translations. And that's why I'm kind of hammering this point down, because heavenly places as a physical, real, literal locality, okay, is a number one doctrine uh, that is attacked um, with the Bible critics, Okay. So we're going to stop there. We're going to put a pin in it. I want to get back into these heavenly places and how being in Christ in those heavenly places, dual localities uh, for a saved, born-again believer, one physical, one spiritual. Uh, I want to get back to that next week and how that ties into not only the attack, but the attack of the gospel in and of itself. How the gospel in its very simplistic form, because the gospel is simple, all right? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, you don't get, guys, you get saved by grace. What is that grace? And I'll mention this, I know later on. That grace is the fact that he enabled you to believe on him. That grace is the fact that he gave you the opportunity and the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection so that you could be born again. That's grace right there. Can I tell you what grace is not? For you to be unwillingly led to be saved and born again. Irresistible grace as one cult people would believe it. A few years ago, I taught a lesson on Wednesday mornings on the, the dangers and the problems of Reformed theology, okay, and replacement theology, which they go with their kissing cousins. They go hand in hand, all right? And uh, I got a lot of nasty emails. <laughs> got a lot of uh, messages that says, well, brother, I don't think you really understand what Reformed theology is. And, uh, no, I really understand what it is. And I really understand what it is not. Okay. Um, I'm always open about where I am physically with these emailers. And they know clearly where they can find me at, at, at certain times of the day and night. Not one of them yet has taken me up on my offer to come down and look at the scriptures. Okay. And the reason being, guys, is, is there is a... There is a spiritual attack that goes on with that type of teaching. Uh, it is ungodly. I, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. 
because uh, I want to wait to lower a couple of the booms on you next week and a week after. And, uh, but I tell you what, I, I, the grace that we have been bestowed, grace unto salvation is the simple fact that we've been given the opportunity to accept the free gift of pardon, the pardon of sin. Amen. And guys, if you think grace is irresistible, <laughs> I can give you some people in the Bible that lost that opportunity and chance to get saved. Felix and Agrippa are two of them right there. You can stop and think about them. One of them was shaking and trembling. He said, more convenient season, I'll come and call on thee. Not a record one that he ever called Paul and got saved. One accused him saying, uh, that, that much reading has made thee mad. Paul said, I think myself happy. <laughs> I think myself happy, he said. You guys, there's something about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when it is bestowed on you and I as a believer in Jesus Christ and it is, it is bestowed upon us by free will, okay? Free will. Calvinism is 100% contradictory to free will. New Calvinism is even worse. New Calvinism teaches that you don't even have to confess Jesus Christ because the rejection of Jesus Christ is a sin. And since he died for all your sins and you're part of the chosen, that you're going to heaven anyway. That's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. But that's the kind of, that's the kind of Calvinism John Piper teaches. So you can go home, chuck all your John Piper books out, okay? I mean, I, I hate to say that, guys. I know that sounds harsh and, that upset the apple cart here on, online, but, you know, you know, I didn't surrender to preach to grow apples nor sell them. I'm preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the way God intended it to be preached. Amen? Amen. So, guys, th that's, that's what we find. Okay. Listen, man. If mankind sinned in the garden by his own free will, why do you think God would lose it? Actually, we're going to touch on that in the weeks to come, and you'll find out that, again. They tie themselves in knots, they frustrate themselves, and they wrestle with the Scripture. So anyway, I'll leave it here. We'll be done uh, tonight with this. We'll bow in prayer. I uh, have quick announcements, guys. If you do have any questions concerning tonight's lesson, once we end the online uh, uh, service, we can, uh, we can get back into it, okay? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing this night. Thank you for this Bible study, Father, I pray. Uh, that you open up our hearts and our minds to give us clarity of thought and understanding. Lord, we just give it all to you and thank you for all what you've done and who and what you are. We pray now for your continual guidance, grace, and mercy in our life. And Lord, I just want to publicly thank you for eternal life, uh, for the free gift of the pardon of sin, for the validity of the scriptures. Father in heaven, I thank you for Dr. Jim Ellis who led me to, the, to, to salvation who brought me to the foot of the cross, dear God, that I would see my sins and in dire need of a Savior, and that I got saved under a man who was a Bible believer and took a stand on defending the Word of God and not some slurpy man who couldn't stand on the precepts of the Holy Scripture. I publicly thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So that's the end of that story.